NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep. It's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. Here we are with a worldie. Uh... When, when I think about this guy, uh, I think mastery of skill, presence, global respect, uh, an all-time great of this strange, beautiful, wonderful game. Uh, and yet he, he sits here with two deeply washed-up club cricketers. <laughs> and I still feel like he'd fit into a club cricket changing room really easily, like a glove that I would then ask for later uh, that I'd want to borrow. <laughs> some numbers, we should say some numbers up top. Say the numbers. 104 tests. 414 poles at 23, 356 ODIs, 502 poles at 23, 257 first-class games, 1,042 poles at 21, a highest test score of 257 red. <laughs> and no doubt, <laughs> like that low laugh there, and, and, and no doubt uh, he'd be unbelievable on both the circuit yeah. uh, and the stretching circle, which we'll ask about in a second. He's got a book out. Uh, he's done it with another great Gideon Hag, uh, and it's our distinct honour to welcome to the great cricketer Wazim Akram. Uh, Wazim, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, guys, and good to meet you. Very nice introduction. I'm impressed. You've done your homework, boys. <laughs> uh, when I say he'd be great on the circuit and in a stretching circle, do you know what I mean when I say that? I'm getting to know the Aussie slang, but I'm not that far yet. But please explain. Okay, well, um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit... Um, Unsure about whether to do this because your wife's in the room now, but um, <laughs> the circuit, the circuit is just you know when you're going out. I mean, we're going to ask later. You're, you you've been on plenty of circuits with Imran Khan in King's Cross and stuff oh, that like circuit. that. The, yeah, cir- yeah, the circuit, yeah, yeah uh, that I have been. Yeah, goes yeah. without saying. Yes, but I want to say, uh, and the stretching circle really is just the stories you tell before the game afterwards. Um, now, was him. Um, 414 Test wickets at 23, it, 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 and it, it all started for you when you were spotted. Uh, on, on the streets, really, then singled out in the nets. Can yes. you just walk us through that process before your first first-class game? I can do that, uh, talk about that process with my eyes closed because I've been doing it for last one week, probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like any other young kid uh, in my part of the world uh, from Lahore, in inner Lahore. Inner Lahore, you, can't, you guys can't imagine what it's all about. It's just little gullies and all the houses next to each other. You can literally... I used to climb houses because I used to fly kites as well. So I used to f- climb houses ex- ex- almost a kilometer for the house to house to house to house to house. So that sort of congested kind of area, but very lovely uh, people, very humble background uh, people from humble backgrounds. Uh, and they, love, uh, they loved cricket. 
every day we used to play cricket, either with my neighbor kids in my age, I'm talking about age 12, 13. I played every sport in school as well. I went to very good school, cathedral school, two big churches, used to have a hymn book. Uh, but every sport was there. I was in basketball team, I was in uh, table tennis team, athletics, and then of course cricket team. Soccer, I never liked that much. And hockey, I couldn't play, I realized, because I was a left-hander. So yeah, uh, we played on the streets of Mazang. Uh, and then I finished my school, I think, in 1983. Uh, and then you have about four, three to four months gap in between to find your colleges or give your resume to college. My resume was horrible. I just bare minimum passed. And obviously, I wanted to be a good, go to good college. And I finally got into a good college because of my cricket skills. Uh, but coming back to how I grew up, uh, and then suddenly there was a, I joined a club. Uh, obviously, one of my neighbors in my gully saw me playing ex-first-class cricketer, Mr. Khalid Mahmood, thanks to him. He said, why don't you play with a cricket ball? I said, yeah, sure, I can play with a cricket ball, but I won't be able to afford 100 rupees a month to give it to my club. He said, don't worry, they won't charge you. So he took me uh, on his bike for about three weeks to a month every day at 2.30 to introduce me to the club captain, Sadiq Khan, ex-first-class cricketer and international umpire. Eventually he became, and then my fast bowling coach, Saud Khan, S-A-U-D, who was uh, you know, a fast bowler himself. The same time as Sir Faraz and Imran went on to play for Pakistan, he couldn't get a chance, so he started coaching. And I started playing club cricket. Every weekend, there was a two games, Saturday, Sunday, and unfortunately, club cricket is finished in Pakistan. Sad, because that was very inaugural, important part of uh, uh, cricketers to, to, to grow, up, grow up. And then from there onwards, I started getting wickets in club games. Uh, and then uh, in the same summer, there was a camp going in 1984. Then uh, summer after, uh, there were 100 kids invited by, not kids, but youngsters invited by PCB. And I think my club pushed my name because I was getting wickets uh, for my club. And suddenly I was there at the Gaddafi Stadium, walking first time on Gaddafi Stadium turf. And it was dream come true. And I went there for four days. Nobody knew who I was. I just stood at the back for four days. Nobody thrown me the ball. I got a bit, uh, not depressed, but disappointed. So I came back to my club, asked my captain and a fast bowling coach, there's no point in me going because I'm standing there for four days. And there are 100 first-class, uh, you know, cricketers, uh, test cricketers were there as well. Like Ramiz Raja played one test, Mohsin Kamal played one test and quite a few more. And my club captain, uh, Sadiq Khan, said, don't worry, I'll speak to the camp commandant, who was the next test cricketer, Aga Sadat Ali, uh, that he'll give you a ball tomorrow. So, I, okay. So, when the next day, uh, two, I think it was just uh, getting dark a bit, so he threw me an old ball. To last couple of batters were there. And I ran in and bowled. And for some odd reason, he got impressed. So the next morning I came, he threw me the new ball. Next afternoon, a new ball. And then starting with the new ball, I used to bowl these big in-swingers. And those yeah, I remember, yeah. Pakistani <laughs> rock-hard balls we just used to swing a lot. Um, and then within four or five days, uh, Javed Miyadad was coming out, the great Javed Miyadad, coming out of injury, I think. And New Zealand was meant to tour Pakistan in September, October. I don't remember the exact date. That was a long time ago. And he wanted some net bowlers in, at, uh, at Gaddafi Stadium. So our camp was on one side, and obviously being a Pakistani captain, he's got the better nets on the other side. So my camp commander said, why don't you go and bowl and Javan me? That's four or five of us. So I was one of them. 
I was like literally shaking at the time because I had Javed Miandad's poster. He was one of the best players in world cricket. And I used to watch him on television. And suddenly I was bowling at him. I just ran in, sprinted him. I've been told not to bowl bouncers in nets to Javed Miandad. I said, I won't do it. <laughs> so some odd reason, uh, uh, Javed uh, Bhai got very impressed. And within a month or two, the camp got reduced to, I think, uh, 50 uh, players and the next phase was in Karachi so then you know my dad bought me a plane ticket to go to Karachi everybody else went on a train and on on that plane Ramiz Raja obviously was there a couple of first class cricketers who were well off they were on that plane and obviously taught me how to wear a belt a seat belt and then for the first time on the plane and then they also said when the food comes you have to pay so I literally asked the hostess, I forgot that mention in my book, but I literally, literally asked the hostess how much money. He said, no, it's free. So they were taking the piss, as you call it, in Australian culture. <laughs> <laughs> and then we landed in Karachi. We were there for a month, stayed, stayed at Karachi Coaching Center. It's still there next to National Stadium, maybe in dire conditions now. And every day we used to practice in the morning. Uh, three couple of hours, uh, training, bit of drilling. Uh, great Khan Muhammad came and he joined as a camp commander, ex-Pakistani test player. And within a month, uh, we were, we had games against each other. Everybody got impressed. I was loving it. 17 years old, never traveled outside Pakistan before. And within a month, there was New Zealand arrived and my name was in the squad to play first first-class game against New Zealand. So hence, uh, I think I arrived there and the manager of the team at the time, he gave me 3,000 rupees. That was a lot of money for me because my monthly, uh, I think my dad used to give me 200 rupees a month. Those days, four, I think petrol was 4 rupees a liter or 2 rupees a liter. So it was a lot of money. I said, oh, that, that, that's awesome. I haven't even played, I've got this money. And uh, I played my first personal game. Javed dropped uh, Sarfaraz Nawaz and Tahir Nakash and played me in that game. And I got seven for 50 in my first day. It's my first first class game. I don't know did. how. Yeah. Because I hardly knew the players who was I playing against. I read their names in Urdu cricket magazines Didn't called Akbari Batan. I knew Jeremy Coney, I knew Jeff Howard. John Reed was getting a lot of runs, the left-hander. And the rest, I didn't know who they were. And obviously, eventually, you got to know they were the greats of the game. And second inning, I got two for 50 as well. So, 100 for nine wickets in my first first-class game. And within a month, even in that, when New Zealand were touring, I got picked up to play one-day cricket. My first first-class, first one-day game was in Faisalabad against New Zealand. And it got reduced to 20 or 24 overs. And it was the last over. I think it was Javed probably wasn't playing. Maybe great Zaheer Abbas was the captain. So he gave me the last over to bowl. New Zealand needed 24 to win. Jeremy Coney was batting. And I hit. I got hit for four fours. I think three fours or four fours. And I was panicky. Because I didn't know how to bowl full. I was just bowling length. It was kind of a green top pitch. And we won the game eventually. I thought, okay, they're not going to pick me up again because I got hit for four fours. But within a month, team was going to New Zealand. And I was on that tour, got picked up by the great man himself. And obviously, credit to selectors. I think Shafkat Rana was one of the selectors. Haseeb Asin uh, was the chief selector, ex-test cricketer, who is no more. So yeah, I was on the plane first time traveling abroad to Pakistan. 
And then after that, obviously after that international experience, then you started making the big money, and by that I mean um, English league cricket. Um, <laughs> because the year after that you were playing, I know you're playing in Newcastle and you're getting about 50 quid a week. Yes. But then you sort of came full circle because in 1999 you're playing in Birmingham for Smethwick CC. Smithic, yeah, there was a lot more money there though. Right, right, right. Now, at that stage, you were playing league cricket. You'd already had 300 test wickets. You'd had 300 ODI wickets. And, this, and you played for them six days after the 1999 World Cup final. Yeah. So I guess what I want to know is, like, do you think we need to fix the scheduling? <laughs> <laughs> because uh, I think that World Cup finished by mid-summer, uh, the 99 World right. Cup, where we lost the finals and Pakistani still thinks that it was fixed by one guy. Right, right, right. Bizarre. Right. Uh, so uh, I was, I was, I had a place in Manchester. My boys were, I think, Temur was. Only, I only had one boy, Temur, who was two, I think, two years old. And uh, I said, okay, only pl playing one game a weekend, or two games Saturday, Sunday. You know, good uh, income. So five days at family, and then play two games at Smithwick. But it was tough playing cup cricket again, yeah. because everybody expected me to get runs and get wickets, and I had to run in every every ball. And after about, I think, a month, I said, that's it. I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> Club cricket can be depressing. Yeah, yeah, can, yeah. yeah. we is, can agree. Is it true you were, you were earning more for them than you were for the Pakistan national team at the time? Probably. Probably. Okay. Yeah. If you, if you, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I, I mean, at the time, I was I was one of the top players in the world. Yeah. There was no point going going in for the sake of the love of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Being a professional. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I lost love of the game a long time ago. So like, <laughs> but like so many, um, so many other players, like England seemed to be a, a place where you grew up a bit as a man. Uh, you seemed to be encouraged by your great friend Imran Khan, who we'll ask about later. But uh, you know, obviously, there's going to be stories about you, you know, with, you know, scoring hundreds with thirty meter boundaries and then yes. taking eight for. Um, but but like, I'm not really that interested in that, to be honest. You know, like we talked to so many people. <laughs> we talked to Curtly Ambrose. He destroyed people in England as well. We yeah. expect that. But like, talk about talk to us about off the field, uh, and in particular, can you tell us about the Tuxedo Princess? Ah, the nightclub. <laughs> that was a normal hangout for me. I was probably 20 in 1986 or maybe 19 because Imran was, uh, our, my skipper Imran said, why don't you play league cricket? I'll organize it through one of his friends in Birmingham, Masood Chishti, Essen Chishti, friend of mine's dad. And he organized me a contract at Burnham Field. At that age, you don't, money doesn't matter. You just want to play cricket. And I am, uh, I remember arriving in April in England at about two o'clock in the afternoon, getting out of Heathrow with leather jacket and sunglasses on. And it was dark. <laughs> I said, what the heck is going on? I'm in the wrong place. And then I took a train. My, my brother was studying in London at the time. And then I stayed with him for a night. And the next morning, they took me to the Victoria Station. And from there, I took a train to Durham. Right. Yeah. Long train. Yeah, yeah, a long train. But it was, for me, something very new, something exciting. Uh, and then they put me in a flat uh, just across the river where this nightclub was that that, that on the boat big huge ship princess is called tuxedo princess yeah, yeah. so um, <laughs> oh, i think i think so yeah. i found out a lot of pakistanis are playing uh, league cricket there mohsin kamal my buddy so we started to hang out together started to live together uh, ali uh, uh, mansoor ali quite a few cricket mansoor rana beg your pardon and quite a few cricketers are playing in that area in dharam and area so we used to hang out used to hang out with them mohsin and me used to be mohsin's got a big beard now i hope he doesn't kill me <laughs> but yeah i'm talking about 35 years ago so mohsin everything will be okay don't worry you'll be fine you'll be watching so yeah we were there um, 
Uh, every uh, obviously the the nightclub wasn't open on Monday Tuesdays, and we were bored on Monday Tuesdays. And there was only I realized there there's only you know Saturday Sunday game five days you have nothing to do. Maybe practice on Tuesday, but being Dharam up north, it, most of the time it rained. So, but I enjoyed every bit of it. It was dark, it was cold, money was hardly there, but that doesn't matter. But I enjoyed playing for them. Boundary was 30 meters, got runs, got wickets. And uh, yeah, I was very keen, keen as mustard as they say. But enjoyed it, very fond memories of that particular experience uh, in Durham. I, I want to keep focusing on like uh, off the field, uh, not because it's like salacious, but because you've done so many interviews about this book and like you, you, your cricket is just so amazing. But so many people know it so well and you've probably talked about, you know, so many, uh, you know, moments and, and achievements and stuff like that. So... I'm curious to like zoom in on, you know, playing with Imran Khan, not on the field but off the field. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, like the, the tales of Imran Khan in Australia when he was playing grade cricket, uh, sure. just uh, legion. You know, unbelievable. Like, what, what, yeah. what's it like to circuit with Imran Khan as a youngster <laughs> when he's going out? Like with you in Kings Cross, can you just paint a picture? Yeah, a lot of, a lot of sure. in Australia will be. They'll be salivating, wanting to know so what this was So they put us, like. that hotel still exists just before King's Cross called Boulevard. It's still there very much. I see, I think I remember staying there. For me, it was fun. The whole team and Imran said, let's go to a nightclub. With his <laughs> hus <laughs> husky voice. I called him in my room. I said, yes, Skipper, I'm ready. <laughs> I was like this. <laughs> so went to a nightclub just... When you enter uh, King's Cross, I don't know, it's changed probably now. Right-hand side, there was a nightclub. Not on the main street, just before the main street. And he walked in and people recognized. And he ordered a pint of milk at the bar because he never drank in his life. Uh, so they got him a milk in a nightclub. That was bizarre. <laughs> and then there was a queue of only girls to shake hand with Imran. And I just said, that's awesome. <laughs> Being a 20-year-old dude coming from Lahore. And yeah, Imran, wherever he went, I mean, he had charisma. He could talk the talk, Oxford graduate. And plus, you know, if you uh, handsome and, you know, Imran Khan, one of the top all-rounder of the world, great performer as well, skipper of Pakistan team. Not just in Australia. India, you talk about, you talk about places you don't even... Guyana. <laughs> so there was a test match in Guyana in 1988. Uh, they, oh, those days there was a rest day, remember? Three day you play and then a rest day and then two day after. So the rest day said, me and Ijazi said, we're going uh, for a trip. I said, yeah, sure. There was nothing to do in Guyana, by the way. I, I don't know about now, but th then there was nothing to do. So he took us and one of his friends, uh, she, a female, took us to the airport. And she had her own plane. So we sat on a private plane, about 45 minutes ride, into a deserted island. There was a runway there. And apparently the island was owned by her dad, who was, uh, I think, into a logging business. Right. So they went into chat, into the house. <laughs> just a chat. Just and me and Ijaz just looked at yeah. each other. Me and Ijaz just looked at each other. I said, okay. What should we do now? <laughs> we can't even go back to the hotel. We are on an island in the middle of South America. <laughs> so we're literally South America, in the middle of it. And we found young guys, some worker there, who knew who we were, uh, who Imran was, obviously. We were too young. He said, you want to go on a boat? So he got a boat, and we got some cold drinks in the boat. Maybe there was a sandwich around there, and then we just started uh, going on the river for about seven, eight hours. We came back, Imran was ready to go. 
And then we went and came back. <laughs> just finished up. I feel like he had a certain glint in the eye, Imran. You know, like even just looking at some of three or some of your numbers, your first test hundred was in Australia, right? It was at yeah, with um, him, yeah. Adelaide. Yes. And, uh, and you and Imran both scored hundreds. Yeah, and of course, did. you took five wickets in the first innings as well. Um, but you, you scored 100 batting at eight, and he, would, he might have been five or six or something six, like that. Six, I think he was right. eight. And so, and I was just looking at the score, and I was like, oh, Imran and Wazim batting at Adelaide Oval, just in the midst of hundreds, like there would have been something. Like just in between overs, like chatting, like were you talking about the game or were you thinking like, let's just get to the end of the day and then... Imran just said, don't play across, uh, uh, across uh, Peter Sleep. I think Peter Taylor, the off-spinner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after my 50th first, um, I hit him towards mid-wicket for a big six and he came back to me and gave me that stare. I told you not to hit. <laughs> I said, he was just there. He said, you're going to get out. And uh, he wanted me to get 100, obviously, to save test match. And right. he said, play with the straight bat. But usually we're talking about the game itself. Yeah. And after the game, I remember when he came back, it was a big day for me. First 100, that too with my skipper who's got 100 at the other end. He called me into his room, come to my room. I said, sure. And I went up to his room. He said, celebrate. I said, okay, how? <laughs> He's he said, a get a cold drink from that fridge. <laughs> there was a big deal getting a cold, yeah. drink, cold drink out of his fridge. So then we celebrated with a cold drink. And then he went out for dinner. And I, going out with Imran was always fun. Yeah. I mean, like I said, wherever I went, he had good friends uh, uh, and, you know, top-notch people. In India, 87, we toured. Pakistan team landed in Mumbai. Uh, the team, after a couple of days, team went to play a three-day game. I thought, I'll be going with the team. Then Imran said, no, you're staying in Bombay. I said, what? Hang on a minute, that doesn't sound right. I, I, you can't question Imran. And he said, no, no, we are training here. Let the team go play a three-day game. So we trained in Bombay for three days. He was staying at uh, his friend, Parmeshwar Godrej, one of the biggest uh, industrial family in Pakistan. Unfortunately, she's no more. And I remember every she had a massive house, still massive house right on the sea in Juhu, very affluent area in Bombay. And I was in Taj uh, in the city. And I, he used to send me a car and used to go there every evening. And, you know, we grew up on Bollywood. In Pakistan, there used to be one black and white channel and we used to get, I think in Punjab, we used to get their songs and obviously those days VCR came out. I know it feels that I'm very old, but probably am. The, the, <laughs> so, so we used to watch those Indian movies and all these actresses used to come and meet Imran. Imran used to sit there with his, his cold drink and they all used to just sit around Imran. And I used to sit, I, I just used to sit there and watch everyone watching him run. <laughs> is, it, is it true you pretty much uh, ended Viv Richards' career with a bouncer? Uh, that's what Viv, Viv tells me now. But guys, uh, we talk about nowadays, we talk about top five, Virat Kohli, Smith, Barbarazam, you know, Joe Root, all these greats, modern greats. But that guy was something totally different. He has the charisma. The way he was, no helmet. I mean, uh, he smashed me all all around in the beginning, but uh, I was very young. But he smashed everyone, not just me. Thompson, Lily, great Imran Khan, Ian Botham, Sir Richard Headley. You know, all of all Malka Marshall. I mean, no, he played for him, played with his team. In the Nets. Man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. But that guy was the whole package. I mean, the way he was, the way he walked, the way he batted. I haven't seen anybody like him as far as the whole package concerned as a batter. I, mean, I know you're saying something nice about him there, but like when, when, you, when you did uh, whiz one past his head as well, what yeah, was that? Yeah, that was, I think, in Hobart. Yeah. And obviously it was a no ball. 
I think I played 356 one day. No ball, short bouncer was a no ball. I don't know who came up with that stupid rule. Imagine on slow Pakistani subcontinent pitches, front foot just smash them anywhere, everywhere. So I'm glad bouncer is back in one day cricket. But 351 days uh, without a bouncer is, is is kind of especially on subcontinent because it wasn't fun. Because being a fast bowler, at least you were allowed to bowl one bouncer. But yeah, that was at Hobart, and uh, I, I saw the clipping. I think I tweeted about it as well about six four months, six eight months ago. And we've said after. Yeah, he told me not. I mean, straight after, but he told me about five years ago. He comes to Pakistan regularly. He is the uh, mentor of Kota Gladiators in Pakistan Super League. So he's there for a month. And what a guy! I mean, he said, "Was thank God to the bouncer that I realized that this is time to go." So coming from the greatest of all time is a huge deal for me. You played against like some of the best ever Australian teams, like sort yeah. of the team that Pez and I grew up in the late 90s. That was like the team, right? Now, did they abuse you at the beginning or did you sort of get their respect in the end? They probably did. But you see, my uh, suggestion to uh, Australians, young Australians, and even you guys are, if you're going to abuse from guy from subcontinent, go slow. <laughs> <laughs> that will be able to understand what you're saying. Yeah, we couldn't understand a word what they were saying. Well, 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 well. I remember I was batting with great in Zamamul Haq in Sydney. He got 196 Test match, and Warney and I think Glenn McGrath and Steve Waugh were having a go at him. I picked up an Aussie accent by then a bit. Yeah, and I went up to Indians. I said, "Don't get angry." Because they're having a go at you. You say, really? I have no idea what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> they even seen the sledge like when they were batting as well. I mean, there's obviously the famous one at Hobart with Justin Langer, and yeah. then he apparently fucking, fucking smashed he it. He fucking <laughs> smashes it, right? Yeah. But you can hear it. Like remember live? Like I remember being yeah. about 12 or 13 or whatever watching that, being like, "Oh, he smashed that." <laughs> yeah, I know. No, he sent me a message the other day. Through Gideon, uh, I mean, who did a great job with yeah. this. One of the best people I worked with, journalists I worked with. He said, "Please tell Waz, fucking smashed it." <laughs> in in Australia, like our our dressing rooms at club cricket, like we're fascinated with bodies and with rigs. Yeah. Um, you know who you don't want to shower next to and all that kind of. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> can Can you paint a picture of like the Pakistani dressing room in the late eighties? Like, was there any sort of uh, nude culture in Lancashire dressing room when I joined the first time? Uh, we used to go in track suits in Pakistan team and come back in track suits and obviously have a shower uh, in our rooms. When we, uh, but in Lancashire, first time I went there, my jacket, my tie, my white shirt, my you know chinos were there. I said, "Hang on a minute, what's this?" He said, "You have to come every morning in this." That was a big deal for me, and it was difficult. Yeah. But after the game, you have to have a bar shower there, communal shower. It was very new for me, and uh, and then. Put up your tire jacket, and if you drink or don't drink, you go to the bar and have a drink. If you want, pick up a cold drink, and you know, uh, have chat with the opposition. Great culture it was. But first day, I remember uh, then in Nottingham, <laughs> they all just went freaking without any clothes, and I was looking at them being a nine twenty year old. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I was shy. I said that doesn't look very good. <laughs> and then. Uh, uh, I went in to have a shower, obviously, but with my, you know, underpants on, and they made fun of me. After a month, I said, "Fuck it," yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just came off. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've spoken extensively about your addiction with uh, with cocaine, and, and that's that's been a lot of takeaways from the book so far that's come out. Um, 
I want to know what, and I understand you're sober now. Congratulations on your sobriety. Yeah, thank you. But um, I want to know how that, that started for you because I know I know you you are and were one of the most famous people in Asia, let alone Pakistan. Um, but I believe it started in in England. Yeah, in England uh, at a party, somebody said you want to try it, and I was I retired. I said yeah, let's try it, and eventually. One line became a gram, and then I came back to Pakistan. Nobody knew what it was, but it was available. And uh, every party, and then I, I realized I couldn't function without it. it. Means I couldn't go out and socialize without it. And it's, it was get it got worse and worse and worse. And obviously, I was hurting my kids were very young. I was hurting my late wife a lot. And then I, she said, "You need help." We had a lot of arguments. It's a long story, but yeah, it's all in the book. But yeah, and then. I said, okay, uh, what help I can get? She said, there's a rehab here. Why don't you go there? I said, okay, I'll go there for a month, although they kept me for two and a half months against my will. Apparently, that's illegal in the world, but not in Pakistan. And uh, that didn't help me, actually. I got When I came out, I got that rebellion came into me that it was my money against my will. I stayed in that horrible place because I had an image of... Uh, when you see Western movies, you see those rehabs, uh, even in Australia, you know, beautiful lawns and people will give you lectures. You do go to a gym. Uh, there was, and I went to a place with a corridor and eight rooms. That's it. And uh, it was very, very tough. It was a horrible time. And then obviously the tragedy with my wife when she passing away. And I had too much on my plate. And I wanted to, back of my mind, I wanted to get out of it. I want to get out of it because I knew I'm on the wrong path. When you know you're on the wrong path, but sometimes you need, I think the biggest sacrifice you did for me that, uh, and then two young boys, seven and 10. And, you know, in our culture as a dad, in Australia, Western culture, dad is involved 50-50, you know, wake up in the morning. If the kid is young, drop school, pick school, change clothes. We never do that. It's wife's turn and our, our job is to go and work and raise funds for the kid's money. And I was lost for two years what to do, how to raise them. I never knew that you have to buy clothes. I never knew what they eat. I didn't know every class. I have to go to parent-teacher meetings. I have to be friendly with the, uh, uh, with the, with the friends' parents, play dates. And then I have to move city. But I believe, uh, I must say, uh, every parent around um, my kids, uh, who were their friends, they, they really helped. Where as much as they can, they help. They said, okay, bring the boy at my place and leave them for a couple of hours, take the other boy to their place. Then I moved to Karachi. That was a big deal as well. I moved with the two kids and this uh, guy, Abbas, who worked with me for 20 years. I mean, credit to him. I think I wrote about him in the book in detail. He was a rock to me. Uh, then I moved to Karachi because my in-laws were there. And... Renting a new house from scratch, lived in one bedroom at my wife's uncle's place, three or four of us, uh, found a new school. And uh, after three, four years, obviously, credit to Shanira, my wife now, she, um, I introduced, being introduced to her in Melbourne, and then she took over when we got married. But yeah, two, three years are very, very tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, the reason, I don't want to harp on it because I'm sure it's a very dark time in your life, but <clears throat> a, lot of, a lot of our audience are young people and there's definitely an explosion of cocaine across the world now. And so, I think a lot of people will really relate to what you said at the beginning there where they felt mm -hmm. like they needed you know, they because thought they needed the to socialise. Yeah. In the beginning, you say, okay, a couple of lines, I'll be fine. Right. And then 
if you every weekend you're doing it, the couple of lines go to four lines, right? And then it goes. And I think my, uh, uh, I suppose, advice to this young generation is, what matters is the company. Mm. If your company is like this, you're bound to get into it. Very few can get out of it. So make sure you're in the right company around you, people around you who have good work ethics. Uh, if your friends are doing bugger all or fuck all, then you'll be doing exactly the same way. So make sure your friends have good ethics. I'm not saying they should be rich. They should have at least a job, nine to five job or whatever. But if a guy who's not doing anything all his life, how will he motivate you? How can he or she motivate you? This is that simple. That's what I've learned. Mm, mm. I was um, listening to an interview you did with Osman Samudin from Crick Info about, about this book. And he opened by um, contrasting uh, Western culture of speaking um, quite openly about problems yeah, yeah. with um, culture in Pakistan. I just wonder whether it's talking about uh, addiction or tragedy or um, match fixing, which we haven't talked about. The things that would be regarded as you know quite controversial and whatever, um, you know, how that experience has been for you putting it into the book. Has it been, um, has it been cathartic? Has it helped you? Like, uh, what's it been like putting a memoir together and putting all this stuff Both down? Both a bit. It was daunting to revisit the, the, these incidents. And then I think now, once the, books, the book is out now, we haven't reached Pakistan yet, it will, but uh, a chapter is closed in, in my... And in our culture, we tend to hide things. That's the culture, not just Pakistan, subcontinent culture. You hide things like this. I remember when I got diagnosed as a diabetic, I wanted to come out with it. My wife, Homa, was, said yes, but all my people around me, no, don't come out with it. This will happen. The sponsors will run away. I said, if I can motivate diabetics worldwide, why should I hide? You're in our part of the world. If a girl, unfortunately, is diabetic, people might not marry her. That's why they keep it quiet. They, so that's, they think if she's diabetic, the husband will get diabetic. Wrong. If she's diabetic, the kids will born diabetic. Wrong. So not, without knowing, the, I'm all for culture. But as long as your culture evolves you, so this was tough to come out with it, but I'm glad I came out with it. And if at my age, what I've learned, if I haven't done anything wrong, if I'm not doing anything wrong, apart from Almighty, I'm not scared of anyone. I really don't care anymore. Just, just reading parts of the extracts of the book, it's so interesting to learn more about the man behind the stories because obviously like in, in our lifetime, you were the hero from Pakistan. You know, sure. we, we got to see everything that you did and it was actually a pleasure to like revisit. I was just on YouTube before and I was just looking at, I was searching you, and it's just um, fucking. I wasn't. You, you, you really got the ball to talk. <laughs> there it was, needs to be said. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's four international hat, hat tricks. You got the equal record. Um, two in tests, two in ODIs. Um, I was going to ask you what what your favourite hat trick was, but <laughs> I also want to know what you guys were doing with the ball because fucking swung a lot. <laughs> I can promise you guys, if I can make a reverse swing ball and give it to the present bowlers, they won't be able to swing both ways. One way. Yes. For instance, look at the modern uh, great fast bowler, Mitchell Stark. When he comes from around the wicket with the old ball, he just bowls away swingers, good yorkers, but he never brings the ball back in from around the wicket. So it doesn't matter what I did with the ball, it was, it's an art to swing the ball both ways. And that, as a bowler, I think one bowler who does it beautifully is uh, from England, Anderson with the new ball and with the reverse swing ball. He have mastered that art, but I think that art is dying now, unfortunately. 
saliva is not allowed now it's allowed last month it came out it's not allowed yeah yeah this yeah. month it came back it's allowed yeah. who's making these decisions yeah i mean if for instance when they said saliva is not allowed and i said hang on a minute if you're playing in melbourne on a cold day for instance and you don't sweat how will you shine the ball they don't think it through do they sometimes <laughs> there's some fire behind that um was him um i'm very conscious that uh every time you speak people who speak to you will probably want to take so much from you and that i i feel like we haven't even scraped the surface but i'm also very conscious of your time you've been doing a lot of interviews um so we will wrap it up there and then probably hassle you at another point when you forget who we are and um, talk to you more about cricket but um sure. just for, for for people who are listening or watching the book is called sultan um and what a name sultan um doesn't appear to have any one meaning it's an arabic word meaning sovereign strength authority power um when you touch the book it's got such a beautiful feel like mm. it's your spotlight in the picture you're smiling middle stumps out of the ground your arms are aloft and i think that's how a lot of uh, Aussies I think this credit goes to my publishers yes they did a lot of homework with the name with with my wife around and gideon and then of course they they picked up this picture so well done hardy grant yeah i was going to say it's out through hardy grant in australia and other everywhere else as well yeah. wherever anywhere hardy grant is putting books out <laughs> uh it's called sultan wasi makram it's been such a pleasure and a privilege for us to be able to speak to you well, thank I you i enjoyed it guys thank it. you very much maybe next time we can chat about other things <laughs> <laughs>